We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9. My name's Gavin Walker, and of course, uh, we're here every Monday night from this time until the wee small hours of the morning after midnight. So we hope that you can uh, stay with us uh, for a while or the whole show, whatever. We welcome uh, your ears, and we hope that we can uh, please um, them as well. We hope that you uh, joined us last week for uh, the very special uh, show on the Vancouver International Jazz Festival, which, of course, is kicking off this coming weekend. And, of course, there's a whole slew of uh, events and concerts and uh, ticketed events, free concerts, all kinds of stuff. And um, our show last week with the um, redoubtable media director and founding father of the Vancouver International Jazz Festival, John Orsick, was a very welcome guest every year on the show. And uh, we had a great time, and we hope, if you were listening, that you had a great time, too. And uh, if you're around tonight, I hope you have a great time as well. Our jazz feature, as has been all month, because this is Jazz Festival Month, we've been, um, aside from the show last week, uh, we've been featuring live music. And, of course, with uh, no, um, usually we have a specific artist and uh, a specific album that we feature. But uh, this uh, jazz feature is a little different and uh, will be until the end of the month. We're featuring live performances in clubs, concerts, or other venues, wherever. And we're going to play some uh, classic music. This is our first is something that is so classic. Actually, the introduction to this band has become a classic. And the band, of course, is one of the greats. It was put together for the gig, and uh, the only surviving member, uh, alto saxophonist Lou Donaldson, told me that Blue Note Records came in and recorded the gig at the beginning of the gig rather than at the end of the gig. And back in the day when um, this was recorded, 1954 in New York, that's a number of years ago, isn't it? Uh, gigs lasted two weeks in, in clubs. Nowadays, uh, a band is lucky to uh, maybe play, a uh, or a jazz group anyway, is lucky to play a weekend. Uh, most gigs are one night. and um, But the same band... Uh, back in the day, they were hired to play two weeks, sometimes three weeks. Sometimes they were held over for a month. And you can imagine the, the unity um, and the spirit that would happen in a, in a band like that. Anyway, uh, that's the only regret that Lou Donaldson had. I had a chat with him about this uh, particular uh, session and this band. And, of course, uh, he was a huge part of it. And he said that was his only regret, that the band got tighter and they should have maybe recorded at the end. But he said one thing he did say that was really important. He said, you know, there was kind of a, a raw spirit um, right from the get-go. 
And he said, uh, so even though there was a few flub notes here and there, this, there was a very, very strong spirit in this, in this band. And that kind of rawness carried over uh, to these recordings and uh, actually made them more um, stronger. And uh, he, um, he felt that way. And, and I, I'm inclined to agree with him. Uh, I would have loved to have uh, heard a result of the band, um, say, on their last weekend, see what they sounded like in comparison to the first part of the gig, but we'll never know that one. We're lucky enough to have this recording. Uh, Blue Note Records didn't do that many live recordings, but th these are classics. And this was done at Birdland, February 21st, 1954. And... We're going to hear this quintet put together by drummer Art Blakey. And it's not, um, it's kind of a predecessor of the Jazz Messengers, but it's not officially a Jazz Messengers band. The people involved here, the wonderful trumpeter, who at the time was a great new star on the jazz scene, a refreshing voice, and a significant player, Clifford Brown. And the sad part about Clifford Brown is that a couple of years later, he was cut down in an automobile accident. And he was only 26. And his career and his trumpet was silenced. But we have these beautiful recordings of Clifford Brown. And he was just absolutely marvelous. Lou Donaldson, as I mentioned, on alto saxophone. Horace Silver on piano. And a good, strong bass player is always necessary in a band like this. And we had one, Curly Russell on bass. And, of course, the great fire stoker, Art Blakey. The spirit of Art Blakey carries through on here. So we're going to take you back. Now, as I said before, the introduction is <laughs> just as much a classic as the music. The MC at Birdland was a little short guy by the name of Pee Wee Marquette. And he was the MC. He was a feisty little guy. Um, he would run around and greet people, of course. And uh, you had to you had to give him a good tip. The musicians who didn't tip him, they got their names uh, garbled, mum, mumbled. <laughs> and and uh, were given rather poor introductions. But if you gave him a good tip, uh, as Art Blakey and, and some of the guys in his band did, he would give you a rousing introduction, uh, which he does on here. And it's truly a classic. So we turn everything over to Pee Wee Marquette in Birdland, February 21st, 1954. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have something special down here at Birdland this evening, a recording for Blue Note Records. When you applaud for the different passages, your hands go right over the records there, so when they play them over and over throughout the country, you may be someplace and uh, say, well, that's my hand on one of those records that I dug down at Birdland. We're bringing back to the band set at this time, ladies and gentlemen, the great Art Blakey and his wonderful group featuring the new trumpet sensation, Clifford Brown. Horace Silver on piano, Lou Donaldson on alto, 
Curly Russell is on bass. And let's get together and bring Art Blakey to the bandstand with a great big round of applause. How about a big hand there for Art Blakey? Thank y'all.
Clifford Brown, ladies and gentlemen. As chosen for his musical vehicle, Once in a While. Thank you. 
At this time, we'd like to play a number that's composed and written by our pianist, Horace Silver. We named it Quick Silver.
the first part of our jazz feature this evening. That was the Art Blakey Quintet, recorded live at Birdland, way back February 21st, 1954. And uh, we heard this all-star quintet with Lou Donaldson on alto saxophone, the great late Clifford Brown on trumpet, Horace Silver on piano, Curly Russell on bass, and Art Blakey on drums. And Lou Donaldson at... uh, 91 years old. He will be 91 um, in November. Amazing. He's still alive and he's still playing and he still goes out every night to check out musicians and and uh, enjoy the company. Amazing man. And uh, he is the only surviving member of this uh, legendary quintet. We heard, of course, the classic introduction to the band by Birdland's redoubtable little MC, Pee Wee Marquette. And, uh, of course, he, uh, he gave them a, a rousing welcome and uh, brought them to, back to the bandstand, as he said. We heard the first tune we heard was uh, Horace Silver's composition called Split Kick. And then we heard Art Blakey uh, introduce Clifford Brown for his uh, ballad feature, of course, the old standard once in a while. And then we moved to... Uh, Another Horace Silver composition entitled Quicksilver. And uh, those three tunes uh, from this uh, legendary Night at Birdland with the Art Blakey Quintet. And it was originally issued on Blue Note Records and uh, in wonderful monaural sound. (laughs) February 21st, 1954. The music is still fresh, swinging, happy, and uh, wonderful. Of course, our jazz feature for uh, the next little while is live music because this is Jazz Festival Month and uh, um, the remainder of our shows, next week's show, is going to be more a lot great live music and we're doing that this evening. So we started off on a very high level. Now we're going to take you, it's the same venue, Birdland, but we're going to feature a band led by Charles Mingus. This stuff is quite rare. Uh, unfortunately, um, the sound quali- sound quality is not bad uh, because it, um, it was a radio broadcast. And, of course, the only problem here is that there's a time limit. They would, um, whoever the uh, radio station uh, was, would, uh, would have a certain time and they would come into the club and record. And then, of course... Uh, a lot of times the band would continue to play, but the broadcast was over, so they just faded out. And this is what unfortunately happens on uh, on this recording. Uh, this is a very rare uh, edition of a Mingus uh, band because Mingus is not playing bass here. He's playing piano. And he did record an album for Atlantic Records with basically this same band uh, called Oh Yeah!, and uh, it's, it's, um, there's some really classic pieces on that album. But uh, this is live music uh, recorded October 21st, 1961 at Birdland with this very special band uh, version of the Jazz Workshop put together by Charles Mingus. So he's at the piano on trombone, Jimmy Nepper. On tenor saxophone is the one and only Yusef Latif. Now, Yousef played a lot with Mingus, but there are not a lot of recordings with Mr. Latif. 
and um, he's on uh, one that uh, Mingus did for Mercury Records, but uh, he's it's also with a big band, so he's kind of uh, buried in that. But he makes some significant contributions on that. But he was in and out of the Mingus Jazz Workshop, and fortunately he was here, so we'll hear Youssef Latif. But the other musician is none other than Rassan Roland Kirk, and he's playing tenor saxophone, the Manzello, uh, which is a, a soprano saxophone, and the Stritch, which is an elongated alto saxophone. And, of course, he sometimes puts all three of them in his mouth and uh, makes one hell of a wonderful noise. Now, in the unenviable position of playing bass with a band led by Charles Mingus is one of his favorite bass players, the late, great Doug Watkins. And on drums, of course, Mingus' best friend and uh, main man. Danny Richmond. The pieces of music we're going to hear from this uh, broadcast recording, uh, the first piece of music has an interesting title. It's called New Rug. And there was a, an earlier piece, uh, totally unrelated to this piece, with the same title. So there you go. Um, it may have a, a completely different title, but that's the title given on this, uh, on this disc. The second tune is, a, is one of the tunes that was recorded for the Oh Yeah album, and we'll hear an extended version of Ecclesiastics. And the third tune, sadly, is cut off after about three and a half minutes, um, and it's a great uh, piece of music. It's too bad, but that's uh, the way these radio broadcasts are, and it's called the Hog Collin' Blues, and it features a great tenor saxophone solo by Youssef Latif. So this is, a, again, this is a rather uh, unique uh, and interesting version of Mingus's Jazz Workshop. So we begin with Nurug.
piece is titled Ecclesiastics.
has no title, but it's on BMI. You dig it? Charlie Mingus. I'm going to buy a triple. 
that's the way radio broadcasts were. Just They were just uh, booting everything along there. Youssef Latif on tenor saxophone uh, featured on that particular piece. We heard a very rare edition of the Charles Mingus Jazz Workshop, recorded October 21st, 1961 at Birdland. And uh, we even heard the inimitable voice of uh, <laughs> the little uh, MC, Pee Wee Marquette, and of course a couple of words from Mingus himself. Um, Charles Mingus was playing piano and of course conducting the whole ensemble, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, uh, Youssef Latif on tenor saxophone, and of course the magnificent Rosan Roland Kirk playing tenor, um, Manzello, and Stritch, sometimes all at once. Doug Watkins on bass, and of course Danny Richmond on drums. And we opened with um, a piece uh, called Nurug. And um, as I said, there was another piece uh, a few years earlier recorded with the same title, totally different piece. So who knows whether that was the title or whatever. Um, that was the first piece, and that featured some um, stretch uh, or, um, sorry, Manzello, uh, which is a soprano saxophone, featured Roland Kirk uh, pretty prominently on that first tune. And then we heard a Mingus composition that was um, recorded on his Atlantic album uh, in the studio um, called Oh Yeah!, and um, that piece of music was called Ecclesiastics. And the third piece of music, the rockin' thing that uh, unfortunately faded out during Yusef Latif's solo, uh, was a thing called the Hog Collin Blues, or as Mingus said, uh, had, had no title yet. <laughs> so it's just what it was. But anyway, that's what it became. And uh, that was recorded on the Oh Yeah album out. Uh, too. And it's too bad. Uh, I can imagine uh, this band playing this thing for about 25 minutes and just uh, unbelievable. Anyway, we heard three minutes of it and unfortunately a fade out. That's uh, the nature of these broadcasts, but they're very rare and uh, we're very happy to have them because a lot of this stuff um, would have gone unrecorded uh, if it uh, wasn't for people that were uh, uh, taping these live broadcasts at, at home, and of course, uh, eventually they they came out, and uh, that's one of the reasons why the sound is not um, the sound quality is not particularly professional, but the music, well, no question. Charles Mingus on piano, Jimmy Nepper trombone, Yusef Latif tenor saxophone, Rosan Roland Kirk tenor saxophone, Manzello and Stritch, Doug Watkins on bass, and Danny Richmond on drums. And my name's Gavin Walker, and you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we'll be right back with some music by John Coltrane live at the Village Vanguard um, following a message or two, including this one. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca.
Oh, yeah. Well, we usually like to tell you about the weather, and that's uh, tonight is going to be mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of a shower overnight. Not much with a low of 14. Tomorrow is going to be mainly cloudy in the morning with a 30% chance of a shower, but then it's going to clear up, and by noon, it should be nice and sunny with a low of 14 and a high of 19. The next couple of days, Wednesday and Thursday, are going to be really nice, sunny weather uh, with lows of 11 and highs between 20 and 24. That's going to be nice. And a mix of sun and cloud on Friday with a low of 12 and highs between 22 and 25. So that should be a nice day. And then Saturday and Sunday, the weekend, is going to be really nice. Sunny weather both days. And, of course, that's, uh, there's a lot of outdoor jazz festival stuff on Sunday. So the weather is going to really be nice for that because there's uh, a lot of outdoor venues. And uh, we don't want rain or cold weather or uh, all that kind of stuff. Nice, warm weather. And that's what we're going to get this weekend. Lows between 12 and 13 and highs between 25 and 26. Get your sunscreen out. It's going to be nice. John Coltrane. This is a monumental recording. Live at the Village Vanguard. And there was uh, just recently a wonderful documentary movie that uh, I know a lot of people saw with this same title called Chasing the Train. I remember when this album came out and it was given a meager two stars in Downbeat magazine, which was the jazz magazine at the time. It came out on a a single uh, Impulse album. Um, And this tune covered one side of an LP because it's a long one. And... uh, The reviewer was actually a personal friend of John Coltrane's and was a big fan of his, but he didn't really appreciate the change and the experimentation that John Coltrane was going through at the time, uh, changing different different approaches and uh, uh, trying different things. And these recordings down at the Village Vanguard are really an experimental stage in, uh, in Coltrane's development. And so the review of this record, uh, it it was given a a paltry two stars out of five. And um, Ira Gittler took a lot of flack for that. Um, I love Ira Gittler. He's one of my favorite uh, jazz critics uh, because he he was um, not only funny but extremely knowledgeable and um, a bit of a musician himself. So he and of course, he knew all so many musicians personally, and, and and so on. But he didn't favor them in his reviews. If he didn't like their music, he'd tell them. So, um, anyway, I'm sure Coltrane didn't appreciate the review because Ira Gittler was very, very critical of this particular track. Um, and of course, in retrospect, it is a monumental performance by John Coltrane. And what it is is um, a blues. It's a 12-bar blues uh, without a tonic, so it, it doesn't seem to ever resolve, and it just, it, it, it just goes and goes and goes. And um, there's no piano on this piece, 
Uh, McCoy Tyner does not play uh, on this piece of music. The bass player is Jimmy Garrison, and the drummer, of course, is Elvin Jones. And we hear just a a couple of notes at the very end of the piece by um, uh, Eric Dolphy, um, who was at the time in in the band. But this is all held together by the one and only John Coltrane. And to this day, it's one of his most um, monumental performances. So here then is Chasing the Train, recorded November 2nd, 1961, at the Village Vanguard in New York City.
as I said, a monumental performance by John Coltrane, recorded live at the Village Vanguard, and uh, Coltrane was going through um, an experimental uh, phase of his playing. He was extending it. He he was uh, moving in some different directions. And, of course, um, eventually all of these recordings, these nights at the Village Vanguard were issued on a deluxe uh, CD package. But some of this stuff was put out on uh, single albums and, of course, single CDs uh, eventually. And uh, this particular um, track, as I mentioned before, is really um, a 12-bar blues but it's um, it's played without a uh, without a tonic note, and so it has this sort of endless um, endless quality uh, to it. And of course, uh, uh, Coltrane just uh, well, John Coltrane was unbelievable, <laughs> um, and uh, this is one of his most authoritative uh, and exciting performances, called "Chasing the Train," and um, as I mentioned before, there's no uh, McCoy Tyner uh, didn't play on this particular piece. And Jimmy Garrison is the bassist. Elvin Jones, of course, is driving Coltrane on drums. And uh, we heard one or two notes at the very end um, by Eric Dolphy, of course, uh, who was in the band. And I'm sure he was just standing there with his mouth open listening to what was coming out of uh, John Coltrane's horn. Chasing the Train, uh, a truly classic performance recorded November 2nd, 1961, at the Village Vanguard. A challenging performance, but uh, gripping and uh, exciting nonetheless. I hope you enjoyed it. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And, of course, our jazz feature, an extended jazz feature, is... Uh, really, we're emphasizing live music, uh, music performed in concerts, clubs, live venues. Live is best. And, of course, June is Jazz Festival Month uh, here in Vancouver and in so many cities across Canada. And, of course, uh, live music is what it is all about. And, of course, we have so many classic recordings done live. And uh, I still think those are the best recordings. All right, we're going to continue uh, with some music. I'm going to take you back uh, to 1948. But before that, we have uh, a message for you. And just like to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Now, if you want to find out about the Jazz Festival, uh, you can go online. Uh, everything's online, and if you go online and, and uh, go to coastaljazz.ca and go through the links, you can find out who's playing what where. Uh, you can buy tickets, uh, make reservations. You can do all that kind of stuff. It's all online. Um, the printed program is, of course, still available, uh, and it's, it hasn't been as widely distributed because most, most people want to do all of that stuff online now. And uh, so if you get on to coastaljazz.ca, you'll find out uh, exactly who is playing where, what kind of music, uh, whether it's free, whether it's a ticketed show, uh, and where it is. 
So there you go. That's that's the reference, coastaljazz.ca, and all the info is on there, and it's a very user-friendly site. And we shall return and take you back to the Royal Roost, one of the great legendary jazz clubs in New York, and some recordings from 1948 with some legendary musicians. And we'll be right back. What if this summer you did something different? What if you worked with people you admired in a city that inspired you, making something that you were proud of? The Media Institute for Social Change is looking for students like you to be a part of their summer documentary program in Portland, Oregon. As a student, you'll create original audio and video pieces about issues that you care about. You'll meet and learn from media professionals whose work is aimed at social justice. You'll immerse yourself in Portland, a city that will serve as your hands-on media-making laboratory. Sound like your type of summer? Apply today at mediamakingchange.org. All right. So we're going to take you back to the Royal Roost and uh, this legendary jazz club uh, in New York City. And we're going to hear the Tad Dameron Band. Now, Tad Dameron was a composer and actually a very fine piano player. He, he underrated his own talents on piano, um, but he had a very distinctive uh, way of playing and a very distinctive way of accompanying musicians. And, of course, he's the band leader. And um, we're going to hear the late, great Fats Navarro on trumpet. Now, Fats was one of the tragic figures in jazz. He was taken from us when he was 26. Um, and Fats, of course, was a victim of, uh, of drug addiction, sad to say. And many people felt that Fats Navarro uh, was, and I'm one of those people, that he was just as great as Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie. And I know that they felt that way, uh, too, um, when he was uh, working with them and when he was on the scene. Fats Navarro was maybe one of the most promising of all the great jazz trumpet players. He combined elements of, of both musicians and, of course, had his own concept, beautiful sound, and uh, his approach. And, of course, um, unfortunately was taken away uh, very early in life. But he did exert his influence on so many trumpet players, Clifford Brown and so many people that followed. Uh, ask Wynton Marcellus about Fats Navarro. I'm sure he, I know that he studied uh, all of Fats's records. And unfortunately, he didn't li uh, live long enough to um, record LP records, but uh, we have some of his music on here. And he was part of this band. Uh, on alto saxophone, there's a wonderful musician named Rudy Williams. Uh, Rudy was just another one of those great musicians uh, that played all the saxophones. He's featured here on alto, and he's making the transition. He was basically a, a, a kind of a swing 
uh, player from an, um, his concept was was formulated uh, sort of in the earlier generation, but he was making the switch to more modern jazz because Charlie Parker, uh, Charlie Parker's influence just blew Rudy's mind, and he knew that he had to play a little bit differently than he had been. And he was a great musician. Sad to say, he left us in 1954. He was. Um, a victim of a, a boating accident. And uh, even Charles Mingus uh, thought highly of Rudy Williams and wrote a piece for him uh, called Eulogy for Rudy Williams, beautiful piece of music. And uh, it was sad that this very talented musician was taken away. Alan Eager is on tenor saxophone. There's a legendary figure. Alan came from a very wealthy um, New York uh, uh, family, um, and uh, he learned how to play the saxophone. He was kind of the black sheep in a very successful entrepreneurial family, uh, very straight, straight up. Uh, they all, you know, his whole family, they became uh, brothers and sisters, became lawyers and doctors and teachers and so on, a very upright Jewish family. And Alan was kind of the, the black sheep of the family, and he wanted to play the saxophone, and he did. And he was, uh, learned it very, very quickly and started playing music at a very young age and um, was one of a, a great character. Alan kind of dropped out of the scene uh, after, um, in the late 50s, and uh, not too much was heard of him after that, but one of the most talented uh, tenor saxophonists on the scene. He was admired by everybody. So he's on here. So we've got Fats Navarro on trumpet, Rudy Williams on alto saxophone, Alan Eager on tenor saxophone, uh, Curly Russell on bass, and one of the pioneers of modern jazz drumming, Kenny Clark. So we're going to hear some tunes from the Royal Roost. We're going to begin with um, a Tad Dameron composition called Good Bait. And then we're going to move to a tune written by Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie called Anthropology. And uh, we're going to move on from there, play a few more tunes from this uh, incredible band. So here then is from the Royal Roost, recorded in the summer of 1948. And we're going to hear some great music by the Tad Dameron Band. We begin with Good Bait.
That was from the Royal Roost, one of the legendary jazz clubs of the late 40s. All of that was recorded in the summer and the early fall of 1948. And one of the great modern jazz bands led by pianist, composer, Tad Dameron. And of course, the featured artist in that band was the incredible Fats Navarro on trumpet, Theodore Fats Navarro, who was uh, sadly taken from us at age 26 in 1950, a victim of uh, drug addiction, sad to say. And uh, we lost one of the major, major voices and influences on the trumpet. But there was, there was nobody like Fats. He was the perfect modern jazz trumpeter. So we heard Fats Navarro in the band. We heard on alto saxophone, we heard uh, a wonderful musician, Rudy Williams. And, of course, he was making that transition, that difficult transition from an earlier style to a more modern style. And so he was kind of right in the middle of that, but a very, very competent musician. But the other great soloist was um, the sadly forgotten Alan Eager on tenor saxophone. And Alan was one of the major voices in those days of the tenor saxophone and one of the most uh, uh, promising and best-liked young exponents of that instrument. And uh, there was a lot of competition, but uh, Alan was right on the top of things, and he sounded great on these recordings. Curly Russell on bass and the great Kenny Clark on drums made up the band. And we heard a whole bunch of tunes, mostly all written by Tad Damron. The first one was called Good Bait. The second tune actually was a Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie composition called Anthropology. And the rest of the tunes were all Tad Damron tunes. Um, We heard the after Anthropology, we heard the Tad Walk. Then we heard the Squirrel and the final tune, um, sounding a little bit like the uh, Thelonious Monk tune, Well, You Needn't, a tune called Dameronia. And, um, yeah, that's the band, and recorded at the legendary Royal Roost Nightclub in New York City in uh, August and September of 1948. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. Of course, and we're emphasizing live music, recorded clubs, concerts, and all kinds of things. And we've heard uh, music sort of from uh, mostly modern jazz this evening. We heard music by Art Blakey and his quintet with Clifford Brown. We heard Charles Mingus and the Jazz Workshop. We heard John Coltrane, and we heard Tad Dameron. We're going to move now to the music of the one and only Thelonious Monk. This is from a 1963 concert at the... um, one of the early concerts at the Lincoln Center. And it was recorded um, just before, well, as a matter of fact, the day before New Year's Eve, December 30th, 1963. And we're going to hear, it's the Thelonious Monk Orchestra, but we're going to hear a piece, first of all, by the quartet featuring Charlie Rouse on tenor saxophone. And, of course, uh, Butch Warren on bass. Frankie Dunlop, he's one of my favorite drummers that worked with Monk. And, of course, uh, Thelonious Monk. 
at the piano. Then we're going to move to um, the big band. And this band features uh, the incredible Thad Jones on cornet. Uh, a second trumpet is played by Nick Travis. He just does the uh, section work. Uh, Charlie Rouse is in the band on tenor saxophone. He solos. Um, unfortunately, and I would have loved to have heard a solo by him, but he's only in the section two. Steve Lacey on soprano saxophone. But Phil Woods is very prominently featured on alto saxophone and occasionally in the section on clarinet. And on baritone saxophone, again, no solos from him, but he's section work, uh, Gene Allen, and he's also on bass clarinet and clarinet. On trombone, and he's not soloing either, Eddie Burt. And then, of course, Monk on piano, Butch Warren on bass, and Frankie Dunlop on drums. But we're going to begin with the quartet, and this is a performance of Monk's great uh, tune, which is built on major sixths. It's a blues, and it's called Mysterioso. It's one of my favorite Monk compositions. Most intriguing way of playing the blues. And um, then we hear a little taste of um, Monk's theme song, Epistrophe. Then we move to the big band. It starts out a little rough. The band is not quite tuned up. This is the second set of the evening, and I guess they've had a few drinks and then uh, reconvened on the stage. And it's not, for the first uh, part of it, it's not quite tuned up, but it's okay. Um, it works, and um, they sound, they basically sound really great. And we're going to hear a composition. Uh, one of my favorite and least played monk tunes is called Light Blue by the big band. Then we're going to hear a composition, a brand new thing that Monk wrote for this concert. And uh, it, this is a great tune. It's called Oscar T. And um, we may hear one more after that. So here then, we begin with a performance by the quartet. We're going to hear this uh, fascinating excursion into the 12-bar blues, Mysterioso.
Yes, that was all recorded December 30th, 1963. The Thelonious Monk Quartet first, and then the Thelonious Monk Big Band with uh, arrangements by Hall Overton. And uh, we heard some uh, great music there by this uh, amazing group. First of all, the quartet performed uh, Monk's wonderful piece based on the 12-bar blues, and it's, um, for those of you that are musically literate, uh, it's made up of major sixths, and uh, the piece of music, of course, is called Mysterioso, and we heard that and a little snippet from Monk's uh, theme song, Epistrophe, played by the quartet with uh, Thelonious Monk on piano, Charlie Rouse on tenor saxophone, Butch Warren on bass, and uh, the great Frankie Dunlop on drums. Then we move to uh, the big band, two lengthy pieces of music played by um, the big band. And, of course, that featured uh, solos by uh, Thad Jones on cornet, Charlie Rouse, of course, on tenor saxophone, and Phil Woods on alto saxophone, and uh, other folks in the band. And, of course, the same rhythm section, Monk on piano, Butch Warren on bass, and Frankie Dunlop on drums. And the two pieces with the big band that we heard, a rarely played uh, tune, I've always liked this tune, it's called Light Blue, was the first big band tune. And the second tune was a brand new composition, had never been played before, uh, except at this concert. And it was written especially for this concert by Mr. Monk and entitled Oscar T., So those two tunes um, played by the Thelonious Monk Orchestra. So I hope you enjoyed that segment. Recorded uh, um, at the, well, what was an early concert at the the Lincoln Center in New York City. And as I mentioned before, December 30th, 1963. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. My name is Gavin Walker. And, of course, we're on the web, too, www.citr.ca. And um, if you have to get up early tomorrow morning, here's a show that you should check out. For the very best in bluegrass music, plus classic country, Cajun, rockabilly, western swing, and whatever jumps off the shelves at us, tune in every Tuesday morning at 6.30 for Pacific Pickin' with your host, Arthur Berman. And I'm Andrea. The lovely Andrea, who will also provide you with our concert calendar and every bit of news and information you can possibly need. And as if that wasn't enough, there's a warm-up show at 6, featuring a little bit of a wider variety of roots and branches of bluegrass music. So tune in each morning, 6 for the warm-up show, 6.30 for the main show, Pacific Pickin' on CITR 101.9 in Vancouver. You know that uh, tomorrow, June the 20th, is the longest day of the year. That's right. It's the summer solstice. And we're going to play something in honor of that. This is a piece of music that is written especially for the longest day. And it was recorded at the uh, Edmonton Jazz City Festival in the summer of 1980. And this is an incredible um, small band 
The vocalist who does the wordless vocal on here is the fabulous British singer Norma Winstone. And John Taylor, who was uh, her husband at the time, is playing the piano. Kenny Wheeler, of course, was born in Canada, um, made his mark in, uh, in the U.K., but um, the late and wonderful Kenny Wheeler on trumpet. And the guest artist on here, uh, who lives in the uh, Seattle area, one of the uh, geniuses of the guitar, Ralph Towner, is the uh, guest soloist on here. This is a composition written by John Taylor and Norma Winstone, dedicated to June the 20th, the longest day, summer solstice. Hope you enjoy it. It's a beautiful piece of music. going to try this uh, piece on a different player. There seems to be some sort of extraneous noise on here. And uh, it's such a gorgeous piece of music that I wouldn't want to, uh, wouldn't want to ruin it. So I'm just going to uh, put it into a different CD player and hopefully it, it plays without these uh, little noises. <laughs> We'll try again. Sometimes this happens. Uh, some CD players are friendly toward CDs and others aren't. And uh, we'll see what happens here. So we'll try it again. Here we go, The Longest Day.
Thank you very much. The voice of Norma Winstone and her then-husband John Taylor on piano, the late John Taylor, Kenny Wheeler on trumpet, and Ralph Towner on guitar, and they made up the band called Azimuth. And uh, that was a John Taylor, Norma Winstone composition dedicated to today, June the 20th, the longest day. So I thought that would be appropriate to play at this time, seeing as we're into the longest day. And uh, we're going to take you back to, uh, once again, to Birdland, that great club in New York. This is um, 1951. Just before Christmas, December 22nd, and the Dave Brubeck Quartet. This is um, some very early Brubeck, of course, but Paul Desmond is here on alto saxophone, and Dave on piano, and my old friend Wyatt Ruther is on bass. Now, Wyatt lived in Vancouver for about 15 years. Wonderful musician. I really miss him. He was... Uh, he was uh, played with everybody, Count Basie, Carmen McRae, all the great singers, Errol Garner, and, of course, was uh, the bassist in uh, this early uh, version of the Dave Brubeck Quartet for, um, for quite a while. And on drums from San Francisco, a very fine drummer, Herb Barman. So we're going to hear three tunes um, recorded December 22nd, 1951 at Birdland. And we're going to begin with uh, Richard Rogers' Lorenz Hart tune called This Can't Be Love, and then a great favorite of the uh, quartet, uh, a tune by uh, Holt Marvell and Jack Strachey uh, called These Foolish Things. These Foolish Things Remind Me of You. And uh, we're going to end off with a tune written by Harry Warren and Johnny Mercer, a familiar thing called Jeepers Creepers. So here then, an early version live of the Dave Brubeck Quartet, recorded at Birdland, 1951.
We heard three pieces of music from uh, Airshots from Birdland, December 22nd, 1951, with an early edition of the Dave Brubeck Quartet. That's long before they started playing things like Take Five and so on. They were dealing with um, standard tunes, uh, tunes by Cole Porter, Richard Rogers, etc., etc., and uh, interpreting them in their own way. And, and uh, they all had, you know, little worked-out arrangements and so on. And uh, that was the early days of the Dave Brubeck Quartet, before they really exploded onto the um, jazz scene a little later on in the uh, 1950s because uh, um, Brubeck's wife, uh, Brubeck got tired of playing in clubs. He didn't like the noise and the drinks and the alcoholics running around and the drunks and all this kind of stuff. He's getting a, a little discouraged with that. And his wife said, well, why don't you start playing in colleges? And Brubeck, you know, kind of said, the colleges? What? Well, she said, you're a college graduate. You and Paul have both been to college. Why don't you try and get that audience listening to jazz? And that was a stroke of genius. And um, they began to play in, uh, in colleges. And, and, and Brubeck became one of the most uh, popular um, jazz groups in the 1950s. Opened up a whole new audience for, uh, for jazz in universities. So there you go. Anyway, um, this was recorded December 22nd, just before Christmas in 1951 at Birdland. We heard three tunes played by Paul Desmond on alto saxophone, of course, Dave Brubeck on piano, Wyatt Ruther on bass, and Herb Barman on drums. And we heard uh, This Can't Be Love, Rogers and Hart, These Foolish Things was the second tune, the ballad, and their rendition of Jeepers Creepers by Harry Warren and Johnny Mercer. The Dave Brubeck Quartet. We're going to take you to Seattle, to the penthouse, no, no, not the penthouse the way it is in Vancouver. The penthouse in Seattle was one of the leading jazz clubs on the West Coast. It was run by a guy named Charlie Puzo, and he booked all kinds of wonderful people in there. Bill Evans, Miles Davis, uh, Wes Montgomery, um, John Coltrane, uh, all kinds of people played at the penthouse in Seattle. It was one of those great legendary clubs, well-run, um, clean. Uh, it was great acoustics, and it was a wonderful institution. We're going to hear Winton Kelly, the great pianist, originally from Jamaica, raised in New York, with um, Ron McClure on bass, who is still very much with us, and the great Jimmy Cobb on drums. And uh, this was recorded in April of 1966 at the Penthouse in Seattle. And this is a recording of the Winton Kelly Trio doing a great standard tune, There Is No Greater Love. Welcome to Half an Hour of Jazz, live and direct from the Penthouse on King FM, coming to you live and direct from the Penthouse, regular weekly feature here from 9.30 to 10 o'clock. Tonight we have Wes Montgomery on guitar and in the first half of the program featuring the Winton Kelly Trio. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Yeah, it doesn't get much better than Wynton Kelly. Wynton Kelly on piano, Ron McClure on bass, and Jimmy Cobb on drums, recorded at the Penthouse in Seattle in April of 1966. And, of course, that was the trio that was going to back Wes Montgomery. And we'll hear some more of that CD um, next week on the show because we'll feature the segment with the star of the show, which was, of course, Wes Montgomery, the great guitarist. I promise you that. Uh, We're going to hear more live music um, next week on next week's edition of The Jazz Show. But meanwhile, I'd like to thank you very much for being out there this evening and hope you enjoyed uh, the show. And we'll continue to listen to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. On behalf of uh, The Jazz Show and myself, Gavin Walker, you take care. The weather is really going to be nice the next few days. Take advantage of it. All right. And go and enjoy the Jazz Festival. It starts this weekend. All kinds of free stuff, ticketed concerts, uh, music all over Vancouver. One of the big cultural, one of the most important cultural events in Vancouver. The Vancouver International Jazz Festival. Take it in. Enjoy it. We'll see you there. Take care. Bye-bye.
The digital era. At least it, it does nothing for me. Quentin makes a good point. But let us do something for you. Film projection is a classic. Don't you miss it? Don't you want to learn how to do it so that you can then miss it? Well, good, because the UBC Film Society is starting the 35mm Club. We'll teach you everything you need to know about film projection on a real film projector for just $5. We're hosting workshops every other Thursday from June 